we're meandering through as we do at this time each week uh, through the Late Show Library. We just about have a wing completely designated to this bloke because he's written an enormous amount of books. 77, I believe, and I think it's around the 55 of those have been on cricket. He's a well-known to uh, listeners to this radio station uh, and, of course, it is the great Ken Peace. Hello, Ken. How are you? Oh, my pleasure to be talking with you, Kev. Yeah, I've worked for the station for, gee, I reckon about two decades. But uh, when you love what you do, it's easy, I reckon, Kev. That's why I've admired what you've done over so many years too, mate. <laughs> well, we're still, we're still hanging in there. We're still doing bits and pieces, which is good news. Now, this is a really special book about a really special and significant uh, uh, a part of Victorian cricket history that uh, has a special anniversary this year. Yeah, we just have, uh, I'm the president of the Australian Cricket Society in Melbourne, and Bob's Boys, how Victoria won the 69-70 Sheffield Shield, is a little celebration booklet that we did for the launch just two Fridays ago, and I had a dozen of the players there, including the iconic Bob Cowper, and we printed just 307. Now, for those of uh, the listeners there who know their cricket history, 307 is very special, especially yeah. in Melbourne. It's the highest ever test score at the MCG, and Cowper's name for those that have a beer and the members at the Percy Beams Bar, there's Cowper's name on top of everybody else's uh, with that iconic uh, 307. And he doesn't come out too often these days. He's 79, turning 80, a fantastic fella. And he, along with, gee, four or five other test players from that team, from Froggy Thompson and Kenny Eastwood, Les Joslin, uh, Peter Bedford, the Brownlow medalist, was there, Graham Watson, the vice-captain, they all came, so it was a very special occasion, and, and they all signed copies of this book. We did a lovely signing page as well, so it's a real collectible, especially to get Bob Cowper's autograph on anything yeah. these days. Oh, look, one of my more cherished Scanlon's uh, uh, cricket cards uh, from that era, I've, I've got Bobby Cowper, and he was one of my one of my idols, a, a beautifully stylish left-hander, and uh, batted at three and was just a, just a great player to watch. He was amazing in the, the test before he made his 307, and I go back to 1966, so this dates as Kev, I tell you, he was actually 12th man. They dropped him to 12th man, and at the time, the Australian players, they were getting a pittance to play cricket, and yeah. the Victorian players, uh, they were getting $7 only. It was just decimal uh, currency had come in, and literally on a Sunday, the gate man was making more than they did from cricket. Now, Cowper was one of these that didn't like it very much. He loved cricket as a leisure, but he just felt it was taking up too much of his time. So he and Paul Sheehan and Ashley Mallett, a few of the real stars of the time, they all retired early to actually earn a living. And, of course, these days, uh, their blokes will be looking sideways at them because they can make Steve Smith, I reckon he'll make $2 million this uh, calendar yeah. year from, from cricket. So it's a different era, uh, but it was just lovely to have them all here. We, we paid for them all, and they all stood up and they told a favourite story as well. It was hilarious. Oh, it would have been a terrific night. Now, the, the, the magic of this, uh, this particular season, uh, there's a lot of tangles to this one, isn't there? There's a lot of sort of tentacles to this. I mean, not tangles, tentacles to this, because there's so many little different stories to tell. There's Bob's story, obviously. Uh, there's... Uh, this Froggy Thompson story, what, a, what an amazing uh, uh, emergence his was. Well, he had two of the best years any cricketer could ever have, taking more than 100 wickets in two seasons. And within 12 months of this 69-70 season, he was in the Australian Test Team, opening the bowling in the first Ashes Test at the Gabba. But it's, it's a sad story too, in a way, because I went to see Froggy, who lives in the eastern suburbs, 
and I was banging on the door, and he finally opened it up, and he said, you should have banged harder, Ken. Now, he's 73. He's got respiratory problems. Oh. His, uh, his wife died suddenly, uh, had been a tumultuous uh, love match, that particular one, and he said, you're the first bloke to come and see me in months. And I said, Froggy, you need to have one of those little red media alerts around your, your neck, mate. Yeah. And, and he said, uh, if I keel over tomorrow, nobody will find me for months. So I literally, I contacted the uh, Cricketers Association and Claire Smith and they're trying to do something for him to make his life just a little bit more safer, if you like. And Froggy was one of the stars of the show, but he rarely comes out these days because... Yeah, he just finds it difficult. He, he like he, he he can't lift a ladder. He can't clean his gutters. Um, he gets out of path very quickly. So I'm I'm genuinely concerned for him. And these boys, they're in the seventies, and in uh, uh, Cowper's case, almost eighty now. So yeah. they're getting on. And some of the old cricketers need a little bit more care, I think, than they're actually getting. Kev. No, that's a very good point, and something the game should certainly have a look at. One thing about Froggy was uh, it, it would be fair to say there were two blokes around at that time whose actions were unbelievably different. David Sincock, the spinner, was one. And, and Froggy had this, uh, this wrong-footed action that was, uh, was quite bewildering to watch. He had a windmill action, and coaches, including Frank Tyson, who'll be well known to the cricket lovers there, yeah. tried to change him. And Froggy was always a, he's very intelligent and very polite. He'd always thank them very much, and he'd just keep on doing what he wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, so he yeah, had this yeah. crazy windmill action, didn't use his front arm too much at all, uh, but he used to be able to zero the ball in at high pace, like uh, mid-80s, maybe even 90 miles an hour on his best days, and it would zero in at the right-handers with angle, and he'd make make uh, it bounce, and especially at places like the Brunswick Street Oval, where he says he wants his ashes to be scattered eventually, yeah. uh, he was a really lethal player, and he was a, a VFL field umpire as well, so he was a real folk hero in the late 60s, early 70s, everybody knew the frog, and for Victoria there, and for Australia for a time, you know, he really was the apple of everyone's eye but there were other great players too and that uh, there was a you talked about Sincock who was a left arm uh, wrist spinner uh, in the Victorians they had Blair Campbell yeah. uh, who'll be listening today out at East Malvern and Blair comes from Paran and highly eccentric and I say that in the nicest way like Blair was one that wouldn't sit with the players when they were batting he'd always take uh, the local Boy Scouts troop with him and he'd jump a few fences and sit in the members with all these mates watching Watching Victoria bat, you know, until it was his turn. But right. there was one lovely hot day out at uh, Turak Park there, Olong Road, and Blair was bowling uh, in partnership with Phil Sheasel, the left arm pace man, and he was at third man just in front of the rooms. And suddenly the ball went down to third man. No Blair. He disappeared into the showers. It was so hot. <laughs> Had a quick shower, all, all with right. his gear on, and then reappeared three balls later, but not to stop the floor that had gone through the third man. So Bobby Cowper had some great, great characters in this team, and, and Wheels Bedford was one of them, yeah. and he took five for 40 in one game in Adelaide, dismissed the great Greg Chappell twice in that year. So Wheels, he, he loved cricket even more than footy, and so um, all the boys' stories are in this particular book, Bob's Boys. What, uh, what made this, uh, this Shield season so special? Well, they had six of their best players away and Stackpole and Sheehan came to the big launch uh, at the Kelvin Club in the heart of the city. Uh, Bill Laurie was away, Ray Jordan, the wicketkeeper. So even without their six gun players, international players, 
from nowhere, Victoria were able to beat all the big boys uh, who were still stacked with many of their stars, especially South Australia. So they played the first four Shield games in Melbourne. They won them all. Uh, the New South Wales game was played at Christmas time, Kev. Uh, so instead of having your uh, annual Christmas test match, they'd play Victoria New South Wales starting yeah, December yeah. 26. Yeah, that's... And, 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 and the Vicks won this game from nowhere. Uh, they chased down 100 runs for the last two wickets. Watson got 60 in a hurry. And the froggy, the Frog Thompson, came in and joined Bobby Rowan uh, at the wicket. Uh, any instructions, Bob? Just stay there, Frog. Just play a straight bat. And they got the last dozen runs between them. And uh, that year, like they were full of these, in those days, Kev, they could play all sorts of sports. And Rowan and Johnny Swan who was just about the best fieldsman in the country at the time, they played baseball for Australia uh, in November, having already represented Victoria in the first Sheffield Shield game. So they were different times. Blair Campbell was a league footballer. He was the one that actually uh, was one of the first to use the banana kick. The other one that had used the banana was St Kilda's Bill Young, who was a 5'11", a Collingwood 6-footer from the bush, and he played at St Kilda and won the goal-kicking. And Blair was also from the bush uh, originally, he copied the Bill Young way of kicking for goal. So Graham Beadle Watson was a league footballer with Melbourne in 1964, had his jaw broken. And Norm Smith, the great coach, uh, when Watson said to him about making a comeback in 66, and Norm Smith said to him, well, uh, Beadle, uh, aren't you picked to go to Australia, to South Africa? He said, I am. He said, well, maybe it's better to represent your country than to play league footy for Melbourne. And so Smith actually made up his mind as Watson became a cricketer rather than a footballer. Ken Peace is my guest. We're talking about Bob's Boys, a new book that uh, has come out about the victorious 69-70 Victorian Shield season. And that uh, Shield cricket, um, they're trying their hardest now to, to re-establish it as, uh, as it was back in these days, as a, as a very important, if not the most important, domestic competition in the world. Well, they are, Kev, but times have changed and the white ball versions, especially the Big Bash, which starts uh, in around about four weeks' time, I tell you what, that's the apple of everyone's eye because uh, even my daughter at the time, I took her to one of the first big match uh, games out of Docklands, now Marvel, and she just loved it. But now she loves test cricket even more so than the the instant uh, Big Bash cricket. But the players get handsomely paid uh, and they do pretty well with Sheffield Shield too and while that is the direct stepping stone to Sheffield Shield and to Test Cricket gee the big bash versions are so exciting now everybody wants to play the ramp shots um, girls cricket that's really come on as well they're playing these lovely little flip shots uh, Jess Cameron who's also a, 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 a league footballer uh, with Collingwood she's a star star cricketer now just playing club cricket and concentrating more on her footy so Cricket has advanced so much. Yeah, Sheffield Shield was big in those days. They'd get 10,000 to a game. Not so much now, but the authorities have to make sure that in the game one, Kev, uh, at the Junction Oval, it was one of those really boring draws. Like, both teams made 600. You've got to put some juice into the wickets and make it a fair contest. Otherwise, people just won't come to Sheffield Shield cricket. You've written, as I said, uh, fifty about fifty-five books uh, on on cricket. Uh, your passion for the game obviously uh, extends to playing the game as much as you possibly can, and you still do. 
yeah, still have a game. We're, we're just back from Adelaide. We had the national championships, which sound highfalutin, but I was just in the Victorian force, and we won three out of four, but the New Zealanders, who are pretty good, who also play, uh, they, they beat us on uh, day two of it. But, yeah, I, I bowl very, as people know, very, very uh, high-flung, extravagant leggies, <laughs> and I try and bat okay at number four and five. I, I play it down in the morning to Peninsula with my mates at Mount Eliza, again in the fourth 11, and just do some mentoring and coaching of some of the young ones as they come along. I, I've been playing since I was nine, Kev, so wow. it, it's like you with, um, you know, in the old days of rock and roll, you know, you would just love a new record and you'd play it and play it. I've been playing cricket just, if I could, six and seven times a week since I was nine. Uh, uh, in my 20s, I had to work for a living and uh, try and become a cricket writer, so I was able to do that, and now I can sit back a little bit more and pick and choose and uh, play Saturday and Sunday cricket. You're already uh, working on your next book. It's already underway. One Test Wonders, uh, is that what it is? Yeah, this is a fascinating one. It won't come out until next year. Like I've published, self-published a book on Dirty Ironmonger for a friend of mine from Sydney, Max Burnell, and uh, was Bert Dainty, was one of the great spinners. Called Dainty? Yeah, called, called, called Dainty. And yeah. uh, the, the Ironmonger Blackie Stand is named at, at the Junction Oval with City Power Centre now in his honour. And Bert was a great, great bowler, but he mowed lawns for a living. Wasn't the ideal ambassador, so they said, and his action was meant to be a little bit suspect. And so he didn't go to England when he deserved to, but uh, he couldn't bat. He averaged in his 14 test matches five minutes only batting, and that's including uh, walking in, into bat. Oh, and there was one time there that his missus rang him in the in the rooms, and uh, Bert was just walking out to bat, and he just called over his shoulder, tell her to hang on, won't be long. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so Bert was one, the one test wonders is another, and that features all sorts of good, good players, including uh, Les Joslin from this yeah. 1969 70 team and he would have played more but there were clicks um, even in the Victorian side his mates or uh, what he thought were mates hardly talked to him when Stackpole wasn't selected and Les was selected going back gee 50 years now for an Ashes tour and it really soured him from the game and he ended up leaving the game pretty early so there's some fascinating stories I've tried to talk to as many of the living ones as I possibly can from Spud Slater who was a great footballer and uh, an Olympic commentator um, who played in 1958. Now, there's a, a blast from the past yeah. right through the people like Paul Hibbert and, um, and I'm going to get uh, Darren Pattinson, who's James Pattinson's yeah. brother. Now, he played one best, of course, for England. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah um, a real Aussie boy through and through, but he was playing at the time and um, uh, literally in England. He had an English passport and they were desperate and they picked him. He actually had to walk up to his captain and introduce himself wow. because the captain and he had never met each other. So it'll be a great book for 2020. And, and all the books are from me, cricketbooks.com.au, including uh, Bob's Boys, uh, which is signed by all the stars. What, uh, Bobby, Bobby in good, reasonably good health for a 79-year-old these days? Oh, yeah, no, he's 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 doing fine. He's doing yeah. fine. Uh, still lives uh, pretty close in. Uh, he's got a holiday house at Marimbula, but he, he's really, really led a, a fantastic life, Bob, uh, like he was uh, uh, into uh, high finance. He lived at Monaco for many years, oh. uh, home of Grace Kelly. So, uh, And he was uh, literally uh, one of the first to work for Kerry Packer and, and uh, be involved to try and give the players a better go because, as we talked about earlier, the players were just getting paid a pittance 
And Campbell was one of those guys, along with Richie Benno, behind the scenes to really make it a much, much happier environment for the players. And as David Hooks, um, a mate, used to say to me, you know, the players of today should every night before they go to bed say thank goodness for uh, Kerry Packer, but they should also say thank goodness for Richie Benno and and Bobby Cowper because behind the scenes they were fantastic in making cricket what it is today. Now, didn't uh, Bobby had a, a brother, was it Dave who was a bowler? Yeah, uh, Dave was a keeper, actually. He spent um, had yeah. two first-class games in the mid-60s. Uh, lives in England now, and he oh, sent okay. me a note. He said, he, uh, uh, and I read it out, I said, he said, uh, make sure my little brother behaves himself after you do, Ken, he <laughs> said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Bob said, that, Bob said, that'll be right. There's only months but, uh, between them. And while Bob, of course, played all these test matches and, and, and got the 307, Dave just played two first-class games for Victoria. But he's still very much the big brother and still uh, in Bobby's corner, which is lovely to see. Um, one of the, uh, when you look at the cover of uh, Bob's boys, uh, down there on the right-hand side on the, on the team photo, uh, Johnny Skulls, uh, that's, a, that's, a, I mean, that's one of cricket's uh, sad stories in many ways. Yeah, well, Johnny Skiles was the youngest in the team, and he helped when they, in January, when they defeated uh, South Australia and Adelaide to win the Shield, one game, this was at a game seven of eight in those days, uh, Johnny got uh, a half century in a hurry and really got the Victorians home. And in that game, uh, he was bunking with uh, wheels with Peter Bedford. And halfway during the game, uh, they went out and they had a pretty big night. And this was the next morning, Blair Campbell broke down. And so Wheels, who was a little bit under the weather, suddenly uh, got the chance to bowl. And he, he was able to stand up five for 40 later. But, yeah, he and Johnny said, uh, just, yeah, it was pretty hot, you know, Master. Pretty hot, Master <laughs> Pete. And uh, he said, yeah, we did go down to Lags Bay and we did quench our thirst. But Johnny was a very, very good cricketer, uh, a star, like 400 games of uh, Premier League district cricket, um, the best player in the grand final is named in his honour, which is quite an honour, because he became a, a great cricket coach too, and yeah. uh, a fantastic bloke, Johnny Johnny Skiles, and unfortunately he's the only one of the 17 who represent Victoria 50 years ago to not be with us. Uh, but he'll be looking upon us down today yeah. and on that RSN studio and smiling at us because, uh, yeah, he was one of crickets, uh, and one of the great men of the world was Johnny Skiles, Kev. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bobby Capra and his mighty 1969 Vicks. Uh, it was a great season. Well captured, beautifully put together, uh, as always. Ken, yourself and Mark Browning have uh, done this one. Uh, and uh, we uh, we look forward to uh, to One Test Wonders and, uh, and all the next instalments that are on their way. Appreciate your time. Really appreciate Kevin. And all the listeners can get it by on the website cricketbooks.com.au. Thanks again for your time, Kevin.